You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. We're your hosts, the Taproot Brothers. Yeah, and I'm, I forget our names, Fran. Oh, man. I've been, <laughs> well, I wasn't I prepared for that. No, I was going to surprise you. What, 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 were, what were our recommended names? Uh, there were a lot. I kind of preferred Plug and Plant yeah. because it kind of... What were some of the other ones? I've uh, Plant and Rant. <laughs> okay, which, and which one of us is Plant and which one is Rant, Fran? That's, uh... <laughs> They're interchangeable. <laughs> It depends on the episode. I don't remember any of the other ones, but anyway, I'm Fran. And I'm Tom, <laughs> and welcome to The Buzz, and uh, we are buzzing into episode 172 today, and very glad that you're spending the next hour, probably a half, with us. Um, and Fran, we don't have any follow-up this week, no. so you want to get right into the plants? I'm sure we do have things to follow up on. I'm sure we'll think about That's, it halfway um, through the episode. That actually is something I just remembered from a... Uh, I think from our last buzz. Okay. One of the people I forgot to talk about is when I went to cultivate the yes. cultivate conference is um is Joey Shondell from oh. from Taylor Creek Nursery in yes. Kansas and um and apparently last the past year when I went out there I uh I forgot his coworker's name who I'd met when and she was bragging that she got to meet me yeah. to him because just really to hold she didn't care that she met me just to hold he, it over his yeah and but i couldn't remember her name it was natasha okay so, so Hello, if natasha. natasha if you if you listen <laughs> i'm sorry i forgot your name uh a year ago <laughs> awesome but that's uh yeah that's, i should apologize twice i'm sorry i forgot your name a year ago and then i'm sorry i forgot to <laughs> <laughs> Bring it up on our last episode. Better, better late than never. So, and I'm even thinking now. I'm like, am I sure it's Natasha? I have it saved Ooh. in my notes, but I'm pretty sure that's that would all, be that's... funny if it wasn't. I'm, oh, kinda, it I'm sorry. I'm kind of hoping that it's not. That's um, that's not the right folder. How did I get to here? Oh, there it is. <laughs> I'm like, how did I get to here? Yeah, Natasha from Taylor Creek shout out was my note, right. and now I can delete that. And uh, yeah. all right, we're okay. up to date. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, let's do that's hot. Now, I'm going to go first only because I know what you're doing, and I want to let you have as much time as possible. Okay. So I'll just get mine out of the way. All right. I yeah. shouldn't say that. It's it's worthy. I just like what you're doing. Um, so my pick is Sneezeweed, which is Hellenium Autumn Now, and it's, it's blooming right now in my garden, and that's kind of what made me think of it. Uh, it's just starting to flower now. Um, so it's in my front yard, and I see it every day, and I'm really happy. This is the first year that it's flowered for us, so I'm a little excited. So uh, most of this information is from wildflower.org, uh, and this two- to five-foot erect perennial has many elongate leaves and numerous flower heads, a wing stem bearing yellow daisy-like flower heads with fan-shaped drooping rays, disc flowers forming a conspicuous greenish-yellow ball-like structure at center of the head. The flowers have raised centers and wedge-shaped yellow petals, which end in three teeth. Flowers July through October, likes full sun and moist conditions native to most of the continental U.S. It is the larval host for the dainty sulfur and the southern skipperling butterflies. It's also a documented nectar plant for the queen and a food source for the adult little metalmark, northern metalmark, fiery skipper, Dion skipper, duke skipper, and Horace's dusky wing butterflies. Bees like the plant as well, and it's touted as somewhat being deer resistant, although the deer did nibble mine back. This year. Mm. They actually did like a nice pruning uh, for it. So um, as a species name implies, sneezeweed flowers in the late summer or fall. Um, the common name is based on the former use of its dried leaves in making snuff and hails to cause sneezing that would supposedly rid the body of evil spirits. The plant is toxic to humans though. Uh, probably that's why it makes you sneeze. Uh Using it as snuff, the genus is thought to have been named uh, by Linnaeus for Helen of Troy. The legend is that the flower sprung up from the ground where her tears fell. Very so, cool. Yeah, I know that's one. It can get tall, um, like closer to five foot. But if you if you pinch it back early in the year, you get a much fuller plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you're probably happier with it rather than being like long and leggy. You can get a full plant with a lot of flowers. Uh, we like I said, the deer kind of like 
nibbled ours back a little bit, so we got nice full plant. One they didn't touch that's five foot tall, and the other ones are all two foot tall. Okay, so, yeah, cool. But it's looking good. All right. Yeah, and um, and now the the peace day resistance. Yes, my my uh, that's hot for the week is uh, not a plant but a whole ecosystem, and that is dunes. And that's because I've been spending a lot of time down the beach this week. Uh, in fact, I came all the way back to Just Columbus, this. New Jersey, yeah. mostly to record a podcast. I had a couple other meetings that I have to go to too, but um, but you're kind of getting like another second vacation in. It is, uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a second vacation. This is my wife's family. Um, was was able to get a, a beach house, and uh, so yeah, spend some time on there. It's only an hour drive to to get there and back. So I figured, oh, you know what, I've things are, are, I'll probably plan on coming back to one or two days anyway. And then if things arise, I can always come back if I need to, and I can get some work done down there. And and then I'm like, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> even today, I'm like, do I really have to go back, or do I you know, just spend some time down yeah. here? But one of my favorite things. Um, when I'm on Long Beach Island in New Jersey, is to look at the dunes and how actually how much better they look now than when I was a kid. Were you hanging with Taylor Swift? I was not. I was not hanging with Taylor Swift. We were uh, trying to avoid the Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift crowd. Not that I, there's anything wrong with Taylor Swift. I, I enjoy her music, but she was there for the Jack yeah. Antonoff yes. wedding. Yeah, which happened on LBI. Yeah, so another with Jack Antonoff on our list. On our <laughs> list of uh, some. Someone uh, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to spread rumors, but he's uh, he did he did something that did some milkweed that we that we don't appreciate. <laughs> so, but um, but yeah. So looking at the dune ecosystems and just seeing that like uh, primary dune, secondary dune systems, and kind of the plant life that's on there and how it differs really in a fairly narrow band. Um, yeah, that and a lot of these dunes were planted. Yeah, clear they aren't they aren't natural. Um, in the sense that these things just happen there. They would naturally happen there if people didn't intervene. Yeah. I'm sure at times we kind of just plowed away the dunes and said, we want to see the beach and the ocean. Oh, people <laughs> still do that. Still do that. Um, <laughs> it's blocking in, my view. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I heard a, a couple comments saying the only downside of the house we were staying in is all this nasty vegetation in our way. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of like I can enjoy this this canoe ride better if if I didn't have to wear this – Bulky, uh, yeah. life bulky, yeah, bulky life vest. Yeah, bulky life vest. Which is fine when you're you're down like the the slow moving river, but when you hit the rapids, you want the life. You want life the life vest. On. Yeah, when the hurricanes and, uh, come, you want the protection. yeah. Kind of the same thing with dunes. Is when those storms come. Is when the dune is really important. That serves its purpose. Um, but yeah, just that the primary dune is so much beach grass, primarily beach grass. And like I said, it was it was you could tell it was planted. It's all in a grid. Um, but that will fill out over time uh, until the next storm kind of comes in and washes away, washes away that dune. And then that secondary dune is where it gets really cool because you had the beach grass still, but then you had um, coastal panic grass, which is uh, panic mammarum. Uh, you had a lot, I mean, enough solid ego sempervirens, which is seaside goldenrod, enough that I kind of want to go back in like October and see it blooming. Um, There's purple love grass, which I was kind of surprised to see. I wouldn't have thought that. It wasn't so much on the dune. It was as the dune kind of came down to the, there's like a bunch of them growing right up next to the house and they were all in in their flowers. So like that purple cloud. But even given that, it would have to have some salt tolerance to survive there. Yeah. Then uh, what else do I have on my list? There's coastal blue stem. I think I didn't really key it out, but it looked like little blue stem. And then, it was on the dune, so I just assumed it was probably was it Schizocarium littoral, littoral, the yeah. name. And uh, then you had um, bayberry, so Morel Pennsylvanica, and it had berries on it too, oh, which nice, was very cool. Nice. And then you had pitch pines. Uh, and then outside my window today, I saw there was another plant that I wasn't expecting to see there. Okay, and that was Virginia creeper climbing oh, up one of the pitch pines. Wow. And I was surprised to see that thing. And that would, I didn't think that had a salt tolerance, but I guess maybe it does. It kind of makes sense to me. I can see it having yeah. it. Yeah. But and now there were some other non-native plants too. There, I saw some um, some uh, Rugosa rose that was in the dune too, little ones. Um, there's another plant, and I can't remember. It kind of looks like agave. I can't remember the name of it. 
Okay. Like it's like the sharp spiny yucca? leaves. Yucca maybe filamentosa. Maybe that's what Which it actually is. is a native plant. It's just not native yeah. here in New Jersey. It's a little bit further south. And you could tell those were like tend to be in planted areas. Yeah. And then um, there's some other stuff, but I don't remember. You know, and, and like anything else, once you hit those type of environments, your plant palette is kind of limited. Uh, there's not as as many things that survive those conditions. And some of them are really hard to grow. Like beech heather, I know – would survive there. It's just very from seed, very mm-hmm. difficult to grow. So yeah, I think it was the the yucca yeah, that was down yeah. there, and um, yeah, it's just called it's, Adam's needle. I yeah, believe. really, they're really important systems. Um, I can't, I can't overstate that that how important these dunes like systems are. And even like my mother-in-law said, it. my wife even jokingly said yeah. it. She's like, yeah, like the first thing I do if I had this house is pull out all. The- all yeah. this brush, and I'm like, well, that's the thing that's protecting the house. For, yeah, yeah, you you'd love not having the brush there until a hurricane comes through, yeah. because then, there'd be nothing there to hold the yeah. dunes. It would just yeah. wash away. Yeah, and it's um, I had a conversation. I might have even brought it up here years ago. Uh, well, I guess it was only two years ago. I shouldn't say years ago, but two years ago, where I was talking about Hurricane Sandy and how the dunes worked in along the New Jersey coast, and um, and they. We're like, oh, yeah, but the dunes all got washed away. And I'm like, well, that was that's kind of the point of the dunes. get washed yeah. away, but the houses don't. Yeah, exactly. Like you saw just north of there, the devastation that happened. And then this community was relatively unscathed in comparison, and it's because of the, the dunes. Yeah. They did they, their job. They did their job. So, yeah, we can replace them and bring back the sand and replant them and, and make them work. I even saw a presentation not that long ago where they're talking about the combination of uh, that dune structure combined with some um, some gray infrastructure oh, underneath to was, kind of prevent breaching and whatnot. That was at the SAMI. Yes. Uh, yeah. SAME conference. So, yeah. No, that was – I agree. I saw the uh, – I think it was like concrete underneath to kind of protect the dune from yep. being completely washed away or or to have yeah. – from having a weak spot where mm-hmm. the water can get through. It yep. would, protect it so that it would be a better line of defense and you wouldn't have to keep replenishing the dunes. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, I remember as a kid, like, walking over the dune on the beach, I felt like the the walkways were straight, but now they kind of have, like, a little meander in them. They're a little S to them, at least where we are. And uh, I have a feeling that's kind of to prevent you have that coastal storm. You're not, don't have a straight shot for wind and water to get through and help, like, create more erosion. That little Mm -hmm. meander probably saves a lot just wind erosion, yeah, I imagine. I would agree. So, yeah. So that's uh, that was my that's hot. Awesome. Dune that's a- ecosystems and how important they are. And when you do go to the beach, you should appreciate them, not not curse them under your breath yeah. for being hard to walk over it, and, it, and over, eyesore. Over my years here, the amount of DEP violations I've seen for people ripping out the dunes and being upset that it, they paid all this money for a view. Well, without the dunes, you don't have the view either. Yeah, <laughs> there was someone a- um, from a power company I was talking to one time. And they were talking. Uh, <laughs> they were they were saying how much kick or uh, yeah kickback they were getting. This is post Hurricane Sandy um, about putting in concrete telephone poles, like wow. storm, more storm yeah. not storm proof, but like more storm resistant telephone poles uh, versus the wood ones. And they're like, oh no, you can't do that. That's going to ruin the aesthetic of of the area and all this and that. And he's like. Would you rather like when a storm comes, you have power or not? Because that's kind of like the difference. You're you want you want the look, but then you're going to be really upset and calling all the time when you don't have power to your house for a week, like like we did or more back then. I think it was a month for some people. Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah, yeah, that was. But but two, I, I I can't even say two great things. Hellenium, if you're unfamiliar with it, check it out. Add that one to your property if you don't already have it. I know Santino. Uh, uh, Longtime listener and, and former guest uh, was just touting it on his Facebook page the other day. Um, and then next time you're at any of the beaches, check out the dunes. Familiarize yourself with that. Like you're walking over them to get to the beach. Just take a look. Notice what the floor is, that ecosystem, and why it's there, the purpose of it, and how it's protecting you. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a whole ecosystem that a lot of people just don't have enough respect for. Yeah. Uh, so check it out. Next time, take a look. You know. They, they recommend you not walking on the dunes, but you're going to take like a, a walkway through it or over it. Just take a look, familiarize mm-hmm. yourself, with, see what see what's there, 
and just kind of enjoy it a little bit. Know that that's there to protect you. So. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. What do you think? You want to do a little this or that? Yeah, let's do it. So we have a winner, and Redemption belongs to Tom with a outstanding score of 32 to 9. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was – people loved – so uh, the two articles last week where I had one on a new uh, species of ramp located in PA, and uh, Tom's article focused on honeybees and – native seed uh leading to maybe the decline of native seed uh and people were very passionate about that that article there was a lot of great comments on the native plants healthy planet facebook group i believe some of the votes i got were uh pity votes but that's okay I, tom's article is fantastic i understand it that was a, a great article sometimes you pick winners sometimes you pick good ones but you know uh, i almost had a little follow-up article to that okay um that was that was titled uh why why what was it oh it's why what native... we get wrong about saving the bees that one no that no, no no that was okay. something different okay um it was titled uh where that the last one was titled like why uh honeybees are bad for native flowers yeah. and it's like why native flowers are so good for native bees or native bees are so good and it was like oh this is a good follow up I'm going to do this one because like here's the yeah. problem here's the yeah. it was the same article it was just different title <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. I didn't and then I almost doubled down again and did my first uh, my first video YouTube video oh. review but then I was like I don't know how to do that well I there was enough article I could in the description I could say something yeah. but I found it I found something different that I think is All right. is better. Cool, cool. Well, you get to pick this week. You want to go first or second? I'll let you go first. All right. So I, <laughs> I have to admit, I clicked on this one just out of curiosity, like kind of laughing. And then as I read it, I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't know if we've ever really approached this. Maybe, maybe through geese or something like that, we may have touched on the the subject. But the uh, title of my article this week is. Leaving dog and cat feces lying around isn't just gross. It's a problem for native plants and animals too. This is written by Kylie Sones, and it was uh, published on The Conversation. And it's not that long of an article. It's less than two pages, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, Dodging dog feces along local paths has become something of an Olympic sport of late. I thought I'd count the pathside dog feces on my bike ride the other day and gave up after counting 30 piles in the first kilometer. It really does feel a bit out of control at the moment. We know leaving dog feces lying around is bad for human health, but have you ever wondered what all this mess means for native wildlife? It turns out pet feces, including both dog and cat feces, have a number of negative effects on native plants and animals, and some of these might surprise you. 1. Unwelcome fertilizer. Just like adding manure to the garden, pet feces left on the ground is a fertilizer, but not all plants thrive on excess. Australian soils are naturally nutrient-poor and native plants and fungi are incredibly well adapted to these conditions. Yes, wildlife go to the toilet in nature too, but the difference is they also eat in nature because they're part of the system. Our pets, on the other hand, are fed nutrient-rich meals in our backyards and kitchens and then deliver these outside nutrients into the ecosystem. Pet feces can quickly find its way into waterways, which can drive algal blooms. Researchers in Berlin estimated that if nobody picked up after their dogs more than 11 kilograms of nitrogen and 4 kilograms of phosphorus per hectare, Hector uh, would be added to urban nature reserves each year, levels would uh, levels that would be illegal for most farms. Two is lurking disease. Pet cats aren't off the hook. If you have a roaming kitty, they could be spreading taxoplasmosis, a disease that can cause serious illness and even death in native mammals. Sym- symptoms include blindness and seizures and have been observed in kangaroos, wallabies, possum, wombats, bandicoots, and bilbies. Uh, The disease even increases risky behaviors with infected animals more prone to wandering around the open or being unafraid of predators. It's morbidly fascinating. The parasite causing the disease, Taxoplasma gondii, has two phases to its life cycle. In the first phase, it's happy hanging out inside pretty much any warm-blooded animal. But to complete the second phase, it has to jump to a cat, the easiest way to do this is to make your current host easy prey, hence the symptoms that debilitate native wildlife or make them prone to dangerous decisions. Infected cats shed the parasite in their feces, so whenever native animals come into contact with cat feces, they're at risk. 
Researchers from the University of British Columbia found wildlife living, living near dense urban areas were more likely to be infected, citing domestic cats as the most likely culprit. Worse, the parasite can lay dormant in feces for as long as 18 months, waiting for a host to jump into it. Three, O de predator. Finally, and probably the most obvious, dog feces might signal to wildlife that predators are about and they should stay away. Even though dogs are a new predator to Australian wildlife, our native species have had enough experience existing alongside dingoes to consider your pooch a threat. Recent research shows that 83% of tests Australian native mammals recognize dogs as a threat, with dog feces being a common trigger. This means the signs and smells your dog leaves out and about can affect the behavior of native wildlife. For example, bandicoots in Sydney were less likely to visit backyards that had resident dog, even if it was kept inside at night. What wildlife? What nature? We live in a city. It might surprise you to know that we share our cities and towns with huge range of native animals and rare and endangered ones. And as people have paid more attention to the nature in their local neighborhoods in recent years, we're becoming more aware of the wildlife living right beneath our noses. These species often depend on a seemingly ragtag collection of urban green patches such as nature strips, utility easements, sports ovals, and public gardens. If these were all littered with smelly signs for wildlife to stay away, places safe for wildlife become even rarer in our cities. Raining in the pet feces problem is an easy way to reduce our impact. The old adage, take only photographs, leave only footprints, is a good rule of thumb. Pick up after your pet and, importantly, take it with you to the nearest bin. Don't leave plastic bags dangling from fences like ornaments on the world's worst Christmas tree. So obviously this was written in Australia, but I think it makes sense. It's funny. Do you belong to your local next door? Like No, no. So someone was posting in, in my development specifically that someone had been picking up after after their dog. But then throwing the bags in their bushes, and it was hanging like Christmas ornaments. Yeah, so they're like there were like eight bags of dog feces. Like, yeah. why are you even picking it up if you're just going to throw it in my yeah my bush? So yeah, it's, yeah. I know, and at, you know the local park by us, it, it almost looks as if someone's walking a horse. That's how big oh these dogs gosh. must be. So I I can imagine, you know, I ha- I hadn't thought of, and it makes complete sense. Yeah, it's fertilizer, and we've mentioned it with geese before, like how much nitrogen geese can enter. But if you think about, again, like a lot of our ecosystems are very uh, nutrient poor. They don't really want the extra nutrients, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what helps invasives yep. thrive. So a lot of this could even be not only hurting our native flora but promoting invasives mm-hmm. with um, with that nutrient-rich – you know, by creating fertilizer, putting fertilizer where it shouldn't be. So yep. I just thought um, – you know, I often wondered too, like if you have pets, if it's more likely that wildlife wouldn't come in your backyard. Like we have dogs, but they're so small and they mm-hmm. spend so little time. They're they're mostly house dogs. They spend very little time outside. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if we had bigger dogs that were barking all the time. Oh, I would, would think them. for sure. I know. Um, I know. I've I've heard that like unleashed dogs will like wreak havoc on wild areas even like if you have a dog that you let out in the yard um i've seen pictures actually where they were chasing like deer and elk through the like a couple dogs in the neighborhood were chasing deer and elk through the woods and then going back to their house um and it's even worse with cats i've brought up with cats a ton um the toxoplasmosis is just a like that's the the cherry on top for me yeah. of uh why you shouldn't have cats outside yeah um and that's this was an australian article it happens in the u.s uh there was a story not that long within the last couple of years of a guy in hawaii who actually ate a goat and then got it because of the goat had gotten it from wild cats and uh and he was like deadly sick like he didn't die, he recovered, but he was losing weight, wow. really, really sick for a while, and um, and so this is something that's applicable. That humans can get this, yeah, and it's all because you have cats out, especially the feral cats. But even if you have a house cat and you let it outside and it's going out in the woods and it's yeah. killing stuff, it's pooping in the woods, yeah, it's like it's causing this issue. So it's 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 a concern, and I'm glad they. They were able to write yep. it in a way that was informative and also funny. Yep. We, uh, it's funny. We were just kind of talking roughly about this back, like right on my fence line. Um, red-tailed hawks built a nest, and our our one dog is so small and so old 
Like we were actually concerned that like a hawk may try to, <laughs> to pick her off. Mm-hmm. Like then we have a nest of ground bees, and we're like, oh, if they attacked her, she couldn't even run away. Yeah, like yep. she would just be. But we also found. Uh, I know I'm getting sidetracked. We found scat in our backyard that looked like bear scat. Hmm. Interesting. But it wasn't a lot. And I'm like, yeah. I wonder what else. Like we were doing something, trying to to ID it out, and everything led to bear. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was bear. Yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it. But it's it's funny with um, they'll get guidebooks that have like the footprints, and then they'll say what the scat looks like yeah, and all that. But uh, <laughs> you think about like even even humans when they use the bathroom, it's like. From person to person, it can look a little different. Yeah, and then even me, I, you know yeah. what, I, I, my diet was a little different this week, and it looks different. <laughs> or I, I ate, I ate bad fish. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's it's definitely different. It's got to happen to animals yeah. too. Well, it's, you know that joke with my old house before I sold it. I came outside one day, and I had a deck on the side of the house, and all that was on it at the time was a, a table and chairs, and something had defecated on the deck behind mm-hmm. like between the house and the table and it was oddly human size like yeah. plus my entire yard was fenced in so something would have had to have jumped the fence done it and jumped out and it was huge and mm-hmm. we're like i think maybe a human did this <laughs> like who yeah. who would we we're trying to id it out we couldn't figure out what it was but it was it was massive mm-hmm. so sorry yeah. <laughs> sorry to get off track there yeah. No one needed to know that. Sorry. Yep. That could have been my oh, secret. My gosh. Yeah, but the big joke was secret. who did I who did I make angry yeah. to come over and do that on yeah, my Yeah, So well good article, Fran. That's right. a that's a little change up. <laughs> what, <laughs> so, what do you have? So uh, I was saying I was gonna double dip and I do my, my video review and um the video it's is through Vox and I think it's well, depending on what people think of Vox. Um, I was going to say it might be something people can send to friends and relatives oh, cool. to kind of explain the whole honeybee, native bee yeah. thing. And because it's just, I, it was titled um, What We Get Wrong About Saving the Bees. It came out last week, and uh, the subtitles, Honeybees Get a lot of attention or a ton of attention, but they're not the ones who need help. And it kind of talks about some things we've talked about yeah. here a while is we put a lot of or the, the Base of pollinator restoration is the honeybee, but that's a, a kept species. Um, so that's something. Look it up. Take a, it's, I think it's like seven, eight minutes. Uh, watch it if you think it's something that could make an impact on some other people and kind of explain the whole scenario to others. Share it. It's a that's a resource that can do some teaching without you having to be get all preachy and whatnot. Um, now, I heard something today on my drive back here. Okay. And I'm like, ooh, there's gotta be an article about this. And I'm gonna do this. And uh Did you find one? I did. All right. And we've heard about the wildfires in Hawaii. Yes. And and how devastating they've been. And um there's there's a lot of different reasons for it, but one of the reasons is invasive plants. We just had this conversation in the office yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So, so I had an article on that and uh, it was from uh, time.com and the title was invasive plants brought to Maui by colonists help fuel the wildfires by Jeffrey Kugler, Kugler uh, came out last Thursday. Yeah. Right. Thursday. Um, and I'll read a little bit and then give some of my thoughts. So there are a lot of things that have made them made the Maui wildfires, which have so, uh, so far claimed a confirmed 111 lives. I think that number's gone up um, uh, and will continue to go up. Uh, as, as time goes on. So, uh, so widespread and deadly drought conditions that have prevailed in the state since the end of the May hurricane door, which lashed the islands with 45 mile per hour winds and down power lines blown over by doors, gusts and suspected of sparking local blazes. What's gotten less attention, but likely played a significant role is Hawaii's large and spreading population of non-native invasive grasses, which grow fast, burn easily and recovering more and more of the Island chain with climate change, partly to blame. The Hawaii Invasive Species Council lists no fewer than 79 non-native plants that were brought to the islands as early as 1793 when Europeans and later Americans moved to the islands. The cattle that ranchers brought with them preferred the non-native grasses as food. Other immigrants brought over other non-native species to be used for erosion prevention or decorative purposes. Of all the invasive plants now thriving on the islands, the U.S. Department of Agriculture points to 18 specifically that contribute to Hawaii's wildfire risk, including buffalo grass, molasses grass, 
and especially guinea grass. This last one can grow an astonishing six inches in a day during the rainy season and may reach a height of 10 feet. Non-native grasses and shrubs currently grow on nearly 25% of Hawaii's surface area. Part of what makes them so pervasive and such a peril is their life cycle. They tend to dry out very early in the season, says Erica Fleischman, director of the Oregon Climate Change Research Institute and professor in the College of Earth, Ocean, and Atmospheric Sciences at Oregon State University. They also decompose less quickly than other types of plants, so we wind up with a lot of dry, standing, dead plants, and those can burn really easily. Non-native grasses also tend to be both drought-tolerant and sprouting even when rainfall is scarce, and fire-adapted, quickly bouncing back after blaze and taking advantage of the torch and empty land around them. That's a bad combination. There are, uh, they are the first thing to regenerate after fire, says Lisa Stroharker, spokesman for the Maui Invasive Species Committee. Native species seeds may be destroyed by fire, whereas invasive species seeds tend to survive. Sometimes they're even released by fire. If you're the first plant to regrow in a cleared landscape, you'll have an advantage. It's not fire alone that's exposed so much landscape to invasive plants in Hawaii. The island chain used to be the home of a booming pineapple and sugarcane industry, but high local costs in land and labor led to growers to move their operations out of Hawaii. The state's last pineapple plantation closed in 2009, with sugarcane following in 2016. The sprawling tracts of land left behind have been largely untended since. Without humans managing that land, as Fleischmann, plants can take over, and non-native invasives are really good colonists. When you have an agricultural system, you often have a lot of active human management, says Fleischmann. You have irrigation, and you have people removing plants that are considered weeds. If those areas are no longer receiving the level of human attention, the plants that can colonize them are going to take advantage of that situation. Non-native invasives are really good colonists. Non-native grasses and the fires they contribute to have been a problem in Hawaii for most of the nearly 250 years. European and Americans have come, been coming to and living on the islands, but in the era of climate change, things are growing worse. Many of these plants do pretty well in high temperatures, Fleischmann. Many of them, many of them do pretty well with dry conditions. In general, a lot of non-native plants are doing very well as the climate changes. And, uh, yeah, it's just another complication due to invasive plants. And it's, it's happening in Hawaii right now, but it happens all, it's happening all over the place. Not necessarily with fires, but with, uh, with other disaster kind of stuff as well. So and it's not as if Maui hadn't had a fire eaker ecosystem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's volcanoes. Like yep. it's, it's, it's an island that's evolved with, with fire as part of the ecosystem, but I mean, we've done many articles before where they were saying that there were uh, hardly any native plant species left in Hawaii as a whole. And, uh, you know, you have these plants that just created the perfect storm, like literally uh, with fire. What were they saying? Fire was moving at 80 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, which is which is crazy. So it's – I think the only house that survived that one area was the one guy that had no plants, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, and that was – that was the only one that survived. So it was just, um, you know, when you talk about protection, like we, you were just talking about the dunes, like mm-hmm. they're there and you may not realize it, but they're there to protect you. Yeah. That's another reason for planting native plants. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, they're adapted to that area and what that area brings in the ecosystem. So it's pretty telling. Once you said it, I was like, oh man, what a great idea. We just had this conversation yesterday and it hadn't even dawned on me to. Yeah, I was, I was listening that. to another podcast this morning, and they were talking about the video of um, uh, someone took of the power lines and then sparking up, and there's a fire in these invasive grasses around the base of the pole. And um, I was just like, there's got to be an article on that. And that just kind of – I wanted to highlight the, the, uh, another negative of invasive plants. Yeah. Um, not that we have enough, and it's our, our – we definitely are thinking about the people in Hawaii that are displaced and, and have lost loved ones through all this. Um, it's a very difficult situation, but, uh, but there's stuff we can learn from this too. And, um, being better stewards of our environment is definitely one of them. So, well, hopefully in the, the aftermath, uh, that is able to occur. Like hopefully it's not what the article said, where it's mainly the invasive species, which come back to seed and, and yeah. regenerate quickly after mm-hmm. fire, you know, cause you're basically starting off with early succession again. So if yeah. you can, yeah. if you can manage that. Uh, and start over, you know, hopefully that's a way to go. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if the funds are there or the manpower's there or if that's even possible. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. It might be it might get worse. Yeah, definitely. So all right. Great great article. It's it feels weird saying that. Like we're talking about devastation. I know. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's um I, I interesting article yes. for sure. Yes. So uh two two very interesting articles this week. You have mine on the effect of uh dog and cat feces. Time 
Tom's article on the effect of invasive plants uh, and how it pertained to the wildfires in Maui. Uh, so we'll have the vote up on the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook page on Monday, and you can vote then because. And of course, the choice is yours. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. All right, I'm thinking let's do listener shout outs. Yeah, definitely. Right. Listener, listener, shout out. All right, I'm going to go first again because, again, you have numerous ones because of our five star reviews, which is, which is awesome. So I wanted to thank Jim Fuermeyer for his suggestion of the Taproot Brothers. We've had a couple people mention that, that we're the, uh, the car talk of the plant world, which we we take as a very high compliment, and uh, instead of the Tappet Brothers, the the Taproot Brothers, I thought was pretty pretty ingenious. Yeah, so. that's be- better than I can come up yeah. with. So that was pretty awesome. I, like I, I completely embrace that. So thank you, Jim. Jim's been posting a lot of really great um, articles or uh, mm-hmm. posts in the Native yeah, Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, especially his one about the Arbor Day Foundation. So if you're not a member, make sure you join mm-hmm. and and join in on yeah, the fun. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and then we had a couple reviews this week. One was from uh, Patsy V One um, that said we have we're the perfect balance of educational, conversational, and inspirational, and uh, it's both her content is both intellectually challenging and fun. So, wow. which is what what we're shooting for. We so that's, try for that. Yeah, it's nice to hear that we're doing, achieving what we hope to. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And then uh, then Zach A P E S S C. Um, wrote that their review was long overdue, but wanted to thank us for taking the time to answer questions in a thoughtful manner and um, and that were well-researched and insightful, which I guess... For the most part, yeah, we, we try, try to be well-researched. We well try to do the research. <laughs> Some, so. Sometimes things spring up and it's it's not very well-researched yeah. because there's no it's time literally, to do so. Yeah, but, sometimes it's literally we're talking, we're talking about stuff here and then we start winding off. I'm like, oh, yeah, we don't know anything about this, but yeah. we have opinions. Yeah. And... Um, yeah. Or, or we may look a couple things up real fast before we hit the record button. You know, oh, this came up. Let's let's make sure I know what I'm talking about before we go live. So we we try. We yeah. try. And if we don't know, we, we, we tell you it's our opinion. Yeah. So. And, friend, now you saw the Spotify one. And, yes, uh, and, I and I wrote I it didn't. down. I wrote it down. That's what it says. Yeah. So the it was from Danielle, Daniela Likeness. Um, wrote, love this podcast, making my way through as many as I can. I wonder if you guys be opening the hosting Canadian growers too. I would love that. Yeah, I would. Well, love I'm, that. I guess Canada is actually becoming like like Canadian a very large audience for us. Like, uh, like having someone from Canada on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. I was like, I'm. Sometimes I get caught in this whole uh, like I, mental warp where it's like when when we use the term grower in the nursery industry as like like a to operate a nursery. So I'm like, I don't know what, huh. No, little, but, I was a little confused. I'm thinking nursery stuff, not but it, people uh, growing me, native plants in Canada. To, to me, I don't want to just limit it to maybe Canadian native plant growers. Like mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about more about the Canadian environment uh, and yeah. environmental issues. So, I uh, I have a I have a person who I can okay. reach out to about that. All I right. have uh, some of mine that I'm Facebook friends with. So, all right, very cool. Yeah, cool. But we're, it's weird. Like we we've already recorded next week's episode. Mm-hmm. We have that in the can, and that one's ready to go, and we're excited. But moving forward, we're in that weird situation again where we've had five or six people that says, yes, I want to do it, and no one has scheduled. <laughs> so I'm hoping yeah. by the – I mean we have two weeks, two and a half weeks before we're recording with another guest again. But we're hoping some of those – if some of those work out, we have some really exciting guests for you. So mm-hmm. we're excited yeah. about that. So um, no questions this week, but we do have a Grow Read a Book. Grow, read a book. I like books. It's been a while. Are you sitting on the beach and reading? No. Um, I was, I, when I drove to Maine and back, I had a lot of time to listen to books. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this was one that I downloaded and only started to listen to, and I didn't finish until well after I got back. And, um, and it was, it was a, a long one. 
um, 21 hours of listening to this audio book. But, uh, but that, and it was a book also I didn't know anything about. Um, and that book was Dune by Frank Herbert. And many of you are probably like, why? Who haven't read the book or seen the movie are like, why would you be talking about this book? Yeah, I'm curious. Um, but if you have seen it, you probably might be able to guess where I'm going. And, um, and it's not about the dunes I was talking about earlier, <laughs> which doesn't make sense. But I, so, like I said, I had no knowledge of this book or anything about it. Didn't know what to expect other than I knew it was kind of futuristic-ish and spacey. And um, and it just come out as a, a movie that I hadn't seen. And I was just like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be driving a lot. Let me just download some stuff and and see what I like. It. I know it was a movie, so I'll, I'll listen yeah. to the book, maybe watch the movie if I like it. Um, so, like I said, no no idea of the backstory of the book. Listen to it, and it became pretty clear pretty fast. It talks a lot about colonization and how the, you have the, the colonizers and then the the native people um, and the, the, I, what's what am I trying to say? The, the uh, relationship between those two yeah. sides, that's relationship, not a hard word to remember, but I just <laughs> show that you can't remember stuff sometimes. <laughs> um, relationship between those two sides and how it can go back and forth. Um, and then it really takes like an environmental turn. And you have these, and I forget all the the tribe names and all that, or the the family names, but the people who lived on that the planet that was was colonized for its natural resources. Basically, they harvested like a spice that was like okay. the controlled the world, and it turned out it was kind of like a drug too. Um, the people there were used it, but then like had like this whole environmental ethic and like. They didn't want to take too much, and then they were trying to work with the land, not against the land. They had these dreams of turning it into an oasis. Uh, if they could find ways like harvest and keep water, and they could they could turn this sandy desert into an oasis for the whole planet and make it so you didn't have to harvest this because it was just a nice place to live. It wasn't harsh and intolerable. Um, but how it basically stories how they survived on this really harsh place by working with the land, not against it. Um, and while the colonists were coming in and working against the land, trying to harvest all of his natural resources. And, um, and uh, they were successful, but they would have like major issues. Like they had these worms in the, in the ground and the worms would eat like their whole factories. And, um, which kind of reminded me of Tremors, which I guess it should. Well, it's funny, but it came like, before Tremors, and I think it was this inspired Tremors. And it's making me think of Avatar. Yeah, also, yeah, very similar. yeah, because I had similar yeah. things too. And apparently, so I'm reading this book. I have no idea when it's written. No idea when it came out. I assumed it was fairly recent. I thought it was like a young adult fiction that was from like the 2005 to 2015 that they decided to turn into a movie. I'm like, as I'm reading this, I'm, like, I'm getting strong tones of what hit me as like Afghanistan with yeah. the nomadic peoples. And there's like a, a natural resource drug. I'm thinking about um, uh, opium poppies. And I'm like, hmm. No, but then I got down the book and I looked it up and said, when was this written? And I found out it was written in 1965. Yeah, although, it's, although I never read it, it was popular um, – among my circle of friends when I was in like junior high in like the, the early to mid, actually early eighties. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, I didn't realize it was 65 though. Yeah. I was curious myself. And a story. lot of people, um, feel that the author wrote this book and this was from Goodreads reviews and, and some other stuff, reviews I found on the book. I felt the author, Frank Herbert wrote the book, uh, cause he visited the middle East and went and traveled with some of these nomadic, uh, tribes and kind of talked about that. You had these people who were living in a really harsh environment, found a way to thrive off this land, but had, I guess, ideas of making it more uh, hospitable to them. And then you had outsiders coming and taking all the natural resources, oil being uh, the big one, and um, and just kind of saying, we don't care about the people, we don't care about the environment, we don't, we just need this oil. And that's really, really important. We don't even need it here. We're going to use it elsewhere. And, uh, yeah, which it makes a lot of sense. But, I, yeah, it's it's not necessarily from the book perspective. 
if you haven't read it, you might want to read it. I'm not going to say you should read it. It was it was definitely interesting. I don't think I could have actually read the whole thing. There were parts that were very like some of the family dynamics between uh, family to family, and then how they move around was was interesting. Um, the environmental undertones of the whole thing were very interesting. But I wouldn't say this is like a must read. If you if you want to be environmentalist, you have to read this. But I guess from like a movie and science fiction standpoint, this changed a lot. I mean, this was like the the this predecessor a, to a whole genre of of books and movies. I mean, there's been two movies about yeah. it now. I think Sting starred in the first one. Yeah. And what's the new one? Timothy Chalamet, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So it's no, it's it's always been very popular. I I can't believe I hadn't read it. Yeah. I actually read a lot in junior high. Like yeah. I was really into science Me fiction. Too. Me too. And uh, like I remember reading a lot of uh, Isaac Asimov and Ray Bradbury mm-hmm. and things like that. Never never picked this one up for some reason. And yeah. I had a friend that loved it that talked about it all the time. And I for some reason I never picked this. One yeah. Up. Yeah. No, it was a, an interesting book. I like the other books I listened to on that trip were Ready Player One, which is definitely like teen oh. boy. Uh, literature, yeah. which was just an easy to listen to thing, and um, I wouldn't say it was that deep or profound. And then um, <laughs> the one I couldn't listen to in the car driving was was No Country for Old Men. Uh, <laughs> so, so if you're interested in what what kind of things I read, it's all over the place. Um, or I, I keep always say read, but it's really I'm listening, I'm listening. to it just uh, while but, I'm doing other stuff. That's a great choice, and it really yeah. does mirror that when you were. Tell, telling me about it the other day, I was like, "Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that." That, but, but that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, no, there's definitely like in a lot of it just relates to um, native people or indigenous peoples and how they interact uh, with their environments versus uh, foreigners, yeah. and then um, just yeah, a lot of the environmental stuff. It was just like it wasn't. It was obviously clearly a main part of the story, and the one of the people in the book was like a planetologist, but he's basically like he knew uh, he was like a botanist in a sense, okay. and he knew the history of the planet. He was from there, and like it, it, that's the intergalactic stuff. But um, but it was he knew like a lot about the plants. He knew a lot about the creatures there, the people, and uh, and then he kind of had this vision of a a greener future, and. Um, Hated to see the the colonizers come in and destroy a lot of this stuff. It was yeah, it just really fascinating book. Did you and I have the conversation, and did we have it on here about Atlantis, about where they projected Atlantis really existed? Uh, and that I don't remember it, where we talked about that. Did we have the conversation? In part, I remember where, you telling me about they, the conversation, but they, I don't know if we had the conversation. They feel that it was a desert. It's it existed where there's now a desert, and they found. They found through research that this area goes from desert to lush areas like throughout throughout time based on – I can't remember what changes, but they said it will probably come back to what it was well beyond our lifetime. But I can't remember because they were saying they had gates to keep water out, hmm. and then it's like – I can't remember, but it's something that changes that it's a cycle that they said will just happen again. Just we won't see yeah. again. Yeah. Interesting. I'm sure a lot of things will change after we're not here. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, me too. So. All right. So uh, we have no complaints and really no topic per se, but we do have it to take it or leave it. And you know where I'm going with this as soon as I say it because we had this conversation. Um, bee stings. So you think of a bee stinging you and you think of it hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, – this whole conversation was sparked because we have another ground bees um, nest in, in my backyard that's kind of in the middle of the yard. It's off to the side a little bit, but we were just concerned. We didn't want anyone to get hurt, but we also didn't want to touch it. We didn't want to move it. Um, so Agatha was doing some invasive removal in her backyard and got stung twice. And then she was like, you know, when I was a kid in Poland, I remember my grandfather having beehives and letting the bee sting his hands to mm. help his arthritis. So she started – reading about the benefits of it and we were talking about it and some of the benefits include uh well we i brought it up in here and and i think one of our co-workers said there was someone that had ms that used to mm-hmm. get bee stings for treatment um and then looking into it it says it's supposed to include anti-inflammatory uh, benefits central nervous systems 
uh, for like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and uh, MS, and then arthritis relief. Yeah. So, and obviously, too much of a good thing can be harmful because yeah. if you get stung, you can be allergic, or if you get stung too much, uh, you could pass away. But don't know what you think about this. Like, no one, I don't know anyone that wants to get stung by a bee, but I never thought about health benefits. Yeah, I, from it. I don't really don't know much about this, but knowing how much of our modern medicine is kind of derived or, or meant to mimic uh, things that plants could do, yeah. I I can see the validity in it. Um, my hesitation would be like you're you can't control your dose. <laughs> it's, I, even from one bee to the next, I I I don't know what the the dosage would be, but it's it, probably not identical. No, um, and like for something like arthritis relief, how many stings yeah. do you need to show relief, and how long is that relief for? Like, yeah. is it just a is it like taking a pain reliever, yeah. or is it actually curing you? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. Like that's yeah. a good question. And obviously, you're sacrificing the bee because once they sting, I don't know if this is the case for all bees, but once they sting you, yeah, the the stinger at least on honeybees yeah. actually rips away from their body, yeah, um, and stays in the the what it stung, yeah. So I just thought it was interesting. It's something that I had never heard of, and never thought about it, mm-hmm. and now. Agatha's just like, ah, a couple bee stings, I can live with that. Like, no, no big deal. I guess it depends on what's stinging you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And where. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's one of those things where, like, there's um, not ancient medicines, but older medicine or what used to be uh, commonplace today would be like, oh, there's no way. Well, Well, I guess there's still people who do the leaching stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, we talk about it all the time on a native plant every day with Tom and Frank yeah. because we we try to go into some of the medicinal values of each of the plant if it has any. And there's some things that you you know we never really researched it or tried it to know if these things work or not. Some of them seem a little outlandish or outrageous, mm-hmm. but um, it was really thought to believe that these things worked. Who's to say that they're not? Um, maybe we ought to try some of these. What do you think about that for uh, season three? I'm probably going to pass on the, the <laughs> trying it until it's it's uh, everything's too- a diuretic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's uh, I can't say I've experienced it for myself, but it's something that like I'm just trying to imagine allowing yourself to get stung for health benefits. Yeah, like a little bit of pain provides a little bit of mm-hmm. maybe a lot of relief. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. No, I can definitely believe it. I'm probably not going to be. The, the, I'm not going to speculatively gonna try it. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna wait till there's. Uh, which I'm. I'm looking on. Just I googled it while we're sitting here, and it's like National Institute of Health and uh, Healthline. Not that no Healthline's a or WebMD's another one where they're like super trustworthy sources, but they're trustworthy in a lot of stuff. If it was like. BeVenomForYou.com. Yeah, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah. I'm not going to trust that one. But. Well, the other thing, too, is when you think about the amount of different bees. Are, are certain... As I say that, I'm stumbling across one that's called BeeCulture.com. Oh, there you yeah. go. I'm just wondering if there's certain bees that are better for certain things than others. Like, does yep. a, a, a sting from a specialist, like a specialist bee for, for willows sting mm-hmm. uh, help you with this and this type of bee helps you with something different? Uh, or do they have the same effects? I don't know. Yeah, I like, wonder if there's a, a bee sting that helps with VD. And I'm sure with that, is. we should probably move on. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> so, but yeah, let us know what you think about about bee stings and uh, in the book Dune. I'm interested to hear what other people thought about the book Dune. I would imagine um, uh, a good portion of our yeah. readers have, or at least read it or watched seen the, the movie. movie. So I'm, that's uh, next on my list is to watch the movie. And, right. Wh- and which one are you going to watch? The, the, the OG? Not the, the, no, I'll watch the new one. I'm the not. new one had much better reviews. Yeah, I heard the old one wasn't good. Yeah, I heard that. Um, which, which, going back to No Country for Old Men, I've never watched a movie that was so strict to the book. Really? The book, and had you re- had you read the book? No. Had you watched the movie? No. Oh, no. Okay. I, I know I know the premise, yeah. but yeah. I haven't. I haven't seen it. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, pop culture things. I was just like major pop culture things, but like kind of pop culture things that I didn't I didn't realize I was missing until I watched the okay. movie. But there was parts in the book 
where I'm like, I've heard these lines before. And then I'd watch the movie and it was verbatim, like, verbat- like wow. word for word language. Wow. Um, the book really isn't that long. Was that a Clint Eastwood directorial? I don't think so. It's It was Cormac McCarthy wrote it. But I thought Clint Eastwood directed it. Uh, what, what's, what's the name? No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men. My brain's out of it today. Um, no Country for Old Men director. Let's see. see. Am I right? Um, no, Coen Brothers. Oh, okay. Is that I, how you say, that you say Kane Brothers? I always Coen said Coen Brothers. Brothers. Yeah, that's what I thought, but I didn't know for sure. I don't know for Coen sure Brothers. either. That's just yeah. what I... Which also makes sense for yeah. I knew sense. that because I saw it in the credits. And I was like, oh yeah, and I knew I knew it before there, but yeah, there's um, there's I listened to the Meat Eater trivia episodes in the beginning. They have they take like a clip out of the movie, okay, with uh, and it's like, what do I stand to? One one guy's like, what do I stand to win? And the other guy's like, everything. You stand to win everything. <laughs> and, and I never knew. I I guess I kind of knew it came from the movie, but I never really knew. And then I see we're here in the book, see in the movie. I'm like, oh yeah, I that's know what that a, is. That's a great quote. And um, yeah, no, I like that one. I, it's like it's definitely it's definitely its own thing. Yeah. But uh, all right, I'll have to watch. It's it. interesting enough. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to watch that one. So one right. of the books to movies that I found is not exactly, but they're each standalone and they're both really well, and you kind of feel like you could combine them. And make one big book mm-hmm. is Fight Club. Like if you yeah. read it, the book is incredible. The movie's incredible. But mm-hmm. they each have parts that the other one doesn't have. Mm-hmm. But it feels like it feels like you're watching an like an edited version. Like yeah. it seems they seem together so naturally that they're both great and there's a different ending. That the book ends differently than the mm-hmm. movie, but it's just kind of like I don't know. They both seem like part of the same thing, which you don't typically get. You yeah. either have it where the movie is just like the book or nothing like the book. Yeah. Where these together make something great. I don't know. Yeah. If you've never yeah. read the book, read the book. I haven't read the book. I'll look right. that one up. All right. Definitely. So, Sorry. Yeah. Forgetting. There you go for a sidetrack. No, that's fine because we are done, and that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet. Presented by Pilots Ministry. Thank you, RJ Comer, for our Buzz intro music. Uh, wouldn't be the same without you. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music wherever you uh, consume your music. And check out his uh, Americana playlist on Pandora. Big thank you to uh, Dave Bennett for supplying our Native Plant Anthem, which apparently we've heard on the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group that you know it's a good anthem when you can't get it out of your head after the end of the episode, which I'm happy you're listening that long. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and or uh, at Pinelands Nursery, and also YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about the question and comment line. You can call us at 215 346 6189. I will repeat 215 346 6189. You can ask a question or leave a comment. We'll do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And as we mentioned before, the uh, Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group just keeps growing, and there's some fantastic conversations, uh, especially the one about the uh, elementary school um, pollinator garden that almost Mm -hmm. got uh, taken out because of neighbor complaints. And and, uh, a lot of people jumped in, and a lot of the environmental education or the environmental board and – uh, the Scouts and someone else jumped in to us. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the other organization was. Oh, the Native Plant Society of New Jersey all volunteered to help pitch in to keep it uh, keep it functionable. Nice. Uh, so I was happy to hear that. Yeah, that's really awesome. So, um, Fran, I I lost my screen for a second. Oh gosh, what a disaster! Uh, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. I probably should have this memorized by now. I've read it what a hundred and some times. Listen, we've done it when we do our travel yeah. episodes. We both do it. For, the only thing I can never remember is the phone number. Yeah, I don't know why I've said yeah. it a million times. You're right. And I should memorize that one. You I should, should. Here's here's a good trick for you if you need to memorize numbers. Yes. It, I guess it really doesn't work unless you like sports. But anyway, do it as 
uh, famous athletes. Oh, all right. So it's like number two, Jamarcus Russell. He was number two, right? Yeah. So, so what's funny so is I've done that before, and I've gotten well, the numbers wrong, I'll, but I knew who I was talking I'll, about. I can remember two one five, so I need a yeah. thirty four sixty six would be Mario Lemieux. Yeah, thirty four is that? Uh, was that Walter Payton? Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. Gosh. Look it up. What number? Walter Payton where? Um, thirty four. Wow. All right, so Walter Payton, Mario Lemieux, and then uh, let's see. We need an 89. Who would it be? Alexander McGilney. I'll never remember <laughs> that. He played for a bunch of different teams. <laughs> uh, uh, and you need number one, right? Uh, no. No, that's... Yeah, 6'6". Six, six, oh, one, yeah, eight, I need a 189. You could do 18, Peyton Manning. All right. And then a 9, nine. is uh, Nick Foles. All right. Ooh, all right. So what is it? So Wal- it's Walter Peyton, Mario Lemieux, Peyton Manning, Nick Foles. So 34, 66, 18, 9. All right. We'll, yeah. we'll see if I remember it's that. It's a lot easier to remember four <laughs> names than eight numbers. <laughs> right. uh, that's my brother's little tr- <laughs> trick, by the way. But uh, so, and uh, yeah, so with going back to our merch, there's a bunch of t-shirts up there. We don't keep any of the money. It goes into our PayPal account. Time goes on. We get a little, a little sum in there and say, hey, let's give this away to someone who it would make a big impact for. And then we do that. Um what also really helps us out a lot is if you subscribe to our podcast, uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Real Every Consumer Podcast. You can hear us. Do us a favor, subscribe. Uh, definitely leave a five-star review. That really is a, a big, big help oh, to we, us. We jumped in the charts, yeah. you know, for a week or two, and then, you know, once they wear out, it, it drops back. Yep. It's really – it's. I know listens play a little part, but it's new subscribers and yep. and reviews. Yep. So. so yeah, so yeah. And do we're us at a favor a, and, uh, we're at one hundred ninety five reviews, not just in the United States. Mm-hmm. So five more. Let's hit two hundred. Yeah. My OCD yeah, is a little. Reviews. My OCD is going a little crazy. All right, and uh, Fran, you have a secret. I do. We talked about it last week, and we we had a discussion off air if it was appropriate. So I'm going to clean it up a little bit to make it appropriate. If if you have kids listening with you, you may want to. Pause it for a second and and make sure kids aren't around. I'll keep it as 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 PG as possible. But we were talking about poison ivy. I can't believe I can't believe I'm sharing this story. By the way, like I'm still like hesitating a little bit because I'm like, do you really want to put this out in the world? <laughs> but but I'm gonna I'm gonna share it. So um, this is going back. I'm trying to think how long ago this was. Probably well, it was 2018. Because my my son was a senior and my oldest son was a senior in high school at the time and um, oh junior actually 2017 so um, I was going over to see my son's lacrosse game and at the high school which is right down the road from from our nursery and I was walking past the soccer field and a ball came whizzing by and went into the woods. And the the person keeping scores is a, a common friend of ours. And I went to get the ball, and she's like, "You know that's poison. I know you know that's poison ivy." And I'm like, "I know, I know." And I kind of reached my leg in, like rolled the ball through it, and then kicked it over. And I'm like, "Ah, I didn't touch it." Well, then on the way after I did that, on the way to the field, I stopped and tied my shoelace, and then I rubbed my eyes. And then I used the porta pot. So, and then I went to to watch the the uh, lacrosse game. So that was on a Friday. I woke up Sunday morning to take my son to a lacrosse Sunday morning lacrosse practice, and my eyes were bloodshot and swollen, as if like I had pink eye. But I kind of knew, like it was almost like I'd been swimming in chlorine. So I kind of knew. I've had I've been hospitalized twice for for poison ivy i'm highly allergic to it i'm sorry if i'm rambling with this one so then like i came into work monday my eyes were bad but then i noticed it on my privates so and it had gotten so bad that it got inside of me so (laughs) needless to say it was painful and i went to the doctors and i'm like i need help well, because I'm allergic and I get it so bad, the doctors weren't convinced that it was poison ivy. They're like, well, you have it on your genitals. You have it in your eyes. This could very well be an STD. 
And I was like, oh, no, it's it's not an STD. I can I can assure you that. And they're like, can you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So we went down a checklist, and they weren't satisfied with my answer. So before they would treat me for poison ivy, they tested me for every STD known for man. And uh, blood and urine, they all came back negative, but they had lost the urine sample. So I had to go in again and and drop off another urine sample. And I was like, I'm in so much pain. Like I missed – I think I missed like three days of work. I was just laying at home mm. with an ice, ice, ice uh, pack on my crotch. And uh, they they finally like – it was taking forever to get the urine sample back. I'm like, listen, if it just comes down to it, just give me the shot. Just give me the yeah. shot and then can we move forward? So they gave me the shot and then like an hour after they gave me the shot, they're like, oh, yeah, the urine sample came back negative. So then they treated me for poison ivy. But the steroids – I kind of – I get it so bad that I need a double dose, and they only gave me a single dose. So I had, like, poison ivy on my face for, like, three months. I remember it was uh, – It just kept moving. It was, like, yeah. in my eyebrows and above my nose, and my eyes would just – I'd wake up one day, and one eye would be swollen, and then the next yeah. day, the other eye. And it's just – I couldn't seem to – like, every time I would sweat, it would yeah. exasperate it. So I just felt like I was going crazy, like, trying not to itch, like, yeah. <laughs> my my brow. Yeah. But – yeah. Anyway, I just so, remember. I really just remember how much you complained about. I complained it. a was, lot, but no one knew. Yeah. The only person that knew was our human resource manager, <laughs> and I feel bad that that she had to know that. Yeah, but yeah. but I missed a fair amount of work because of how bad the poison ivy was. So you never want to <laughs> you never want to get it there. If you if you've never had it there, don't uh, do yourself a favor and uh, be a little more conscious. So now, like anytime I'm anywhere near poison ivy, I'm wearing gloves. Long sleeves, long pants. Mm. You know, I take everything off, and I have special soap, and washing cold water, and scrub, and and all yep. that. So yep. don't touch your eyes. Don't touch anything else. That's my little uh, <laughs> PSA. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, poison yeah. ivy can be if you get it. Some people get it really, really bad. Friends, one of them. I'm not. I get. It's weird. Like I can get it on my legs, and it's not that bad. Mm. It's you know, arms, torso, face. Like arms and face are bad. Like my. Yeah. My arms just swell up like Popeye and yep. turn pink, so it's not fun. Anyway, yeah, how's that for a secret? What a secret! <laughs> Stay tuned for more more riveting secrets like that in uh, future episodes. We'll see what happens in episode 174. So, with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom, and I am Fran. Thanks again for tuning in, every uh, everyone. Coming up next week, we have Woodford Cedar Run Wildlife Refuge on as guests, and it's it's actually three representatives. Uh, to give you a very well-rounded look at what they do. So make sure you tune in to that. We will see you again next time. And until then, keep it native. In meadows, woods, wetlands, and dales grows a bounty of beauty that never fails. Our native plants, so diverse and so rare, treasures of our land beyond compare. For the friends below, soaring each plant has a place, each plant is loved. Modern caterpillars must know if we're so tall. These birds about sifting methods fall. Oh, native plants, how do you grace this land? In your diversity, we will take a stand. To protect and preserve our generations to come. May beauty and importance is second to none. To protect and preserve our earth, to restore the native plant food that you just can't ignore. Golden rod, asters, and flowers galore. Menard is so stunning, can't help but adore. Your colors, the fragrance, a feast for the eyes. Their value to wild, like no need to disguise. Native plants, how you grace this land. In your diversity, we will take a stand. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.